Hardcore Honey listeners. Hey, got another episode this week. We got Jade, as usual. And once again, we have the oh-so-great Chaka coming in, helping out. We're always happy to have you there. How's it going, Chaka? Uh, life is good. I have no complaints. Okay. Let's just then go. So this week we're discussing episodes three and four of The Last Dance. So, Jade, how many times did you catch this? And this is Rodman heavy and Pistons a lot. How how yeah, much have you I watched it. I watched it twice. You watched it twice? Yeah. Uh, how about you, Chaka? Uh, I watched it uh, multiple times in part because of the article that I wrote for Belly Up. Wanted to steal some information from it. So I watched uh, both episodes twice. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's it. I I did one beginning of the week, and then I did one last night, and I was actually messaging Jay. Jay she was watching it, too. We were both watching it, so yeah. <laughs> perfect timing with all of that. Okay, so um, let's just start. My first question. Okay, Jade, so without Rodman, MJ 3-3 and in finals? Because like Rodman said, he wasn't. they weren't going to win without him. No, I I don't think so. I agree with Rodman. He 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 didn't do the same things as Pippen and and Jordan, but he brought some things that that team needed that nobody else was doing. I 100% agree with him saying without him they don't get where they got. Would he they still got to the finals? Would they've got to the finals? I don't know if they would have got through the Pistons uh, some of those times without Rodman. Okay. Well, after, okay. he, after he switched teams. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, so then, uh, Chaka, which team would you say is better? The team with Rodman or the team for the first three-peat? The second three-peat. I mean, those teams won 72 games. Was it 69 games and 70? or It was 72, 69, and 67, respectively, I believe, if I got those numbers correct. So I'm going to take the team that set the wins record and kept smacking right at 70 wins. I mean, that those teams were incredible. Um, the first three-peat teams were incredible as well, but uh, I like the second three-peat. Okay, so we got the sec- second three-peat. Jade, what about you? Do you think first or second? Do you agree with Chaka on this one? Uh, I think I do. You think you do? Yeah, I think um, just because the the opponents they were facing were also further along in their development that they had to go through, they they had to be better, I think, the second time around than they had to be the first time. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I think that that Utah team that the second three-peat beat twice, they beat them back-to-back, that might be the best team that never won a championship in the history of the NBA. That team had two Hall of Famers on it, two Dream Teamers on it. Like, that's an incredible team. For some reason, and I've yet to figure out why, Taylor has something against Utah. And every time Utah comes up, there's this face. And I don't know. Come on, Taylor. I need to know now because I'm so curious. I I do not like Carl Malone. He is a huge, huge asshole. (laughs) <laughs> so was Michael Jordan. So was Isaiah Thomas. What yeah, is your and I don't like any of those guys. <laughs> I don't like the bad boy Pistons. I, I mean, Bulls. I mean, whatever. But just, I love Stockton. I love Stockton. But really, Chaka, the best team to never win a finals. 
So you, I mean, we can go ahead and let's start looking at these things from a statistical standpoint. Let's start looking at the defensive rating of that Utah team. The only team in my mind that could even enter this conversation are the Golden State Warriors of last year. And if we take into account their injury situation, I think that that Utah team would have beaten them. So we would have to take that Golden State team healthy. But, of course, that Golden State team healthy, maybe the whole thing ends up a little bit different. Um, The other team as well is the 73-win Golden State team, which they had to deal with Draymond being knocked out of a a couple playoff games because of suspension, and they didn't win. But if you start looking at the ratings of these teams from an analytic standpoint, Utah is as good as any team that never won a championship. So um, the only teams that, are, again, really are in there are those Golden State teams. Um, it may be the Seattle team that Jordan also beat with um, Sean Kemp and Gary Payton. Like, it's a what short about, list. What about that Charles Barkley team? That took him, Charles Barkley took him to six games. And lost, right? Yeah, he, they still, I mean, yeah, still lost. Remember that Utah took him, Jordan, oh, they right. were up. Evan. They were up three to one on that Utah team or something crazy where that series wasn't supposed to go back to Utah. That series was supposed to finish in Chicago and Utah wins in Chicago to force them to have to go back to Utah to go play. So um, and I think that that series ended up being a six game series as well. Uh, But they won in Chicago, which, again, you start looking at these teams and trying to compare them. It's not a bunch of teams that beat Jordan in Chicago during the playoffs. There are very few of those. That is, that is very true. Um, so, well, Bradman has, was a uh, focal point for both the episodes. One thing that I liked about Rodman was how when they interviewed him in college, he wasn't expecting to go to the NBA. He was like, I'm ready to get my college degree and then uh, we'll figure out what goes from there with it. And the next thing you know, he's getting drafted by the Pistons. And the best way I think I could describe Dennis Rodman is organized chaos. Would you agree with that one, Jade? Yeah, I would. You know, the thing that, before I get into that too much, the thing that surprised me the most about Rodman was, I think it was John, um, I'm trying to remember which of his teammates it was that was saying Rodman's whole philosophy was like, you know, being out in in nature and cooking your own food and having a fire and that oh, was yeah. like it was you know, John like, Sally, I believe. Was it John Sally? Yeah, I, I was, was like, really, Rodman? Like that was his that was his jam at the time when he was young and innocent, as as Isaiah Thomas said, and first in the NBA, and he turned into you know that caricature of a person that we all know now. That blew my mind a little bit. But one thing I do appreciate about Rodman is he's self-aware about how crazy he is. Like he even said how I created this monster. Like, yeah, this is on me. So that for me, it made me at least be like, oh, he's self-aware. He's not that dumb of a guy then. No. Crazy, but he's not dumb. Mm -hmm. But since being so smart and everything, segueing into his rebounding, Chaka, is he the best rebounder ever? He he's the best rebounder. 
he's probably the best rebounder ever. There's, there's a couple of guys, right? Because Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain, you got to kind of consider some of those guys. But uh, Rodman, the thing that Rodman had that those guys didn't is that Rodman was like, this is, this is me. Like, he embraced it. He's got more 0.20 rebound games than anyone in NBA history because he was just like, listen, this is what I bring to the table, right? I'm going to rebound, I'm going to defend, and I'm going to give incredible energy, and that's what I bring. With a guy like Wilt, Wilt scores 50 points a game, right? So he had other things that he could bring to the table. Um, Even a guy like Bill Russell, Bill Russell wasn't Wilt-level scoring, but Bill Russell could put the ball in the basket as well. Rodman, what I always respected about him, even as I was hating him with the Pistons, as I was hating him when he was with the Spurs, and I hated him when he was with the Bulls, was that he could he he was all in. He committed. He was like, this is what I do. And if anyone in the league can do this better than me, then bring it. And he yeah. would guard your best guy one through five. He didn't care. He would guard Shaq. And in the same game, guard Penny. He didn't care. Like, he would guard anyone, go get the rebounds. Like, I just really respected that about him. So he's probably – he probably is the best, but I also didn't see, like, Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain live. So I just go off of those statistics, and those guys obviously were decent rebounders as well. Okay. Well, uh, me and Jade, we were discussing uh, last night um, about how he – did the mechanics of rebounding. So, Jade, with the shooting and the spinning – What did you think about that with him realizing that? I thought it was fascinating to find out that he, how, what the specifics were in terms of how he improved his rebounding, like what his process were like, same with like Steph Curry. I'm always, I find it fascinating the way he practices his handles. Similar thing for Rodman, finding out the exact specifics of here's what I did to get good at it was really impressive to me. And to your question about is he the best ever, I wrote that article a few weeks back on Andre Drummond saying he was the best <laughs> rebounder ever. And of course I had to look at Rodman for for that research because it's Rodman and they were both Pistons, which made it even more perfect. And the thing that stood out to me was that even though um, it, it showed me how good Rodman is when you looked at the size he was giving up to Drummond. Yes. Also to those other guys, Wilt and Russell, they, he was smaller. He was lighter. Like to me, that, that disparity in his size to the other guys who are at the top of that list, it makes it even more impactful that he was able to do what he did. And I saw a tweet this week that said that um, in the last, I want to say 20 years or yeah, I think 20 years is right. Um, Dennis Rodman had five 30-plus rebound games. There are eight others in the entire NBA for that same time period. So, like... 30 rebounds. Yeah. 30 rebounds. That's... I mean, teams sometimes only get 35 rebounds in a game. So, that's... If this you guy, go back and look at those Bulls teams, they were getting like 35 rebounds in a game. He just would get 20 of them. Yeah. Because sure. <laughs> they didn't have too much of a re- – like that's – when you think Luke Longley is arguably one of your best rebounders on your team, like, uh-oh. <laughs> that's why they like, had to get Rodman. Rock on him, but centers back in the 90s, I thought either they were the superstar of the team or they were just big robots. Right. It was one or the other. It was like, ooh, you're really useful, or 
you're just someone we need on the court right now. Yeah. But, uh, so one thing that, so with Rodman ending up with the Bulls, that has a lot to do with Jerry Krause giving him the gamble on it, which he also then gambled on Jackson, Phil Jackson. Is Chaka, is Krause that great of a scout or is it more luck? Now, Jerry Krause, he, this documentary, one of the things that I think it's done is it's uh, forced people to kind of look back at him and he's getting like his name dragged through the mud as if he didn't architect, he wasn't the architect for these teams. Like it's not, it's more than just Rodman and Phil Jackson. He drafted Scottie Pippen. He drafted Horace Grant. He, he's the guy who brings in the shooters around Michael Jordan, right? So John Paxson and Steve Kerr. Um, he's the guy who drafts Tony Kukoc and then convinces him to come over to the United States and come play basketball, which at the time, Tony Kukoc was the best European player in the world. He, they, everyone believed that he was the best player outside the NBA, and he's the guy who convinces Tony Kukoc to come over. So, like, it's not luck. There's too many things that happened um, in succession for me to say that Jerry Krause got lucky. What Jerry Krause fell prey to is what I think a lot of successful people can fall prey to if they're not careful, which is um, they start to believe their own hype. So they, they begin to believe that there's like zero luck that's involved in it. But the reality is not, Jordan's teams never had to deal with injury. There's a certain level of luck that comes with that, right? Um, yeah. With the exception of Scottie Pippen and his surgery thing that we've now seen for that last season, they were relatively healthy. Um, the fact that there really wasn't too much turmoil within the team i mean you can you hear little pieces about pippen being unhappy or of course grant being unhappy or just dennis robin being himself and the fact that they were able to manage all of those things and deal with it other teams crumble under that um so there is a semblance of luck that obviously goes with these teams being able to perform and jerry Krause, uh he I, he started reading his press clippings a little too much he and forgot that you know you got michael jordan here and so there's a lot of glue that Michael Jordan provides when it comes to holding things together. But um, I do think that his name's kind of been dragged through the mud, and it's really unfair because the things that he did, he's a GM with six championships, starting rattling off the list of GMs that got six rings. It's a real short list. See, yeah. and I think I think Krause, so I didn't really know anything about him before we started watching the documentary. I was not, I was not zoned in. We talked about this last week on execs really at the time. Um, but the thing that I'm getting that I think what exacerbated the, the point that Chaka made that he was he was drinking his own Kool-Aid was the fact that he also was not getting at, at a certain point, the fans didn't love him the way they loved Phil Jackson, the way they loved Michael Jordan. And he's going like, hey, I brought all these people together. Where's where's my love? Right. And historically in the NBA, it's it's about the players and then the coaches get some shine and then the execs are the guys in the background doing their thing. With social media, we have more of an awareness of execs now than we would have at the time, I think. But he felt, he felt some kind of way. And I noticed that in the first or second episode when they did the introductions of when they were getting, it must have been the ring ceremony when they were introducing everybody. And there was a marked difference in the the volume of the applause from the crowd between Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan and Krauss. And, like, you can tell that he felt that. And the thing is, like, I feel like part of why 
he's being dragged through the mud, like Chaka says, is taking that stance in the last season to walk into Phil Jackson's office and say, I don't care if you win 82 games, you're done. Like <laughs> as good as everything you can do in a career, if that's a, if that's a stance you're willing to take and stick by, you tarnished everything. That's I feel like that move. you did. It's a ballsy move. So can I jump to a different sport and a comparison? Do it. Because um, Bill Belichick really has oh. made a career of doing essentially Cheating. what Jerry Krause attempted to do, which is, um, you know, he looked at a team that was really solid and said, hey, I would rather get rid of a guy a year early than to get rid of him a year late. And I think that that's the stance that Jerry Krause was trying to take. I don't know that Jerry Krause was saying – um, and maybe there was some there was some animosity there. I mean, you could see it in the documentary, obviously, in terms of personalities. But as an exec, I don't know that it's a bad thought to say, "Hey, Rodman, I don't know that he can keep doing this." Pippen looks like he's starting to slow down. Maybe we should look to see if we can get some other pieces for these guys. Um, the deal with Jerry Krause is, is that eventually that team breaks up and they don't win a championship, right? So the Belichick comparison is a little it's a little wonky because Belichick gets rid of those guys and then wins. But we'll see how Belichick does without Tom Brady. It could be very similar to how Jerry Krause did once Michael Jordan retires, right? Right. Um, I was going to mention something else about Krause. Oh, Jade, I got to ask. Krause or Masai? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why are you going to ask me questions you already know the answers to? (laughs) I just want to, I want to hear it vocalized going against well, Krauss. This is why Masai. Masai did not get the opportunity to draft one of the best players of all time and still got a championship. Okay. Okay. I'm keeping I'm sure it short. We're get a lot of responses on that one. I'll let you take that heat. And I'll just sit there and laugh. <laughs> uh, um, but then, so with. Kraus getting Jackson, um, how how much of a gamble was it, Jade, for them to get rid of Collins and switch to Jackson since Michael oh, loved Collins? That's what I was gonna say. I think it was a huge gamble because Michael was Michael was like a duck in the rain. He was as happy as a player could be because Collins gave him the ball and that was that he and I get where that that mentality come from comes from where Michael Jordan was like there's an I and win because the <laughs> team that he was drafted to was horrible right we talked about it last week how they were giving up games when there was still a quarter to play he had to be the guy on that team when he was first drafted but Kraus definitely saw the change that was needed in order for them to take that next step. Because I think without Phil Jackson, offensively, Michael Jordan is James Harden. If he is not forced to give up the ball and realize that his teammates can help him out, yeah, he does stuff defensively that Harden's never done, but offensively, he's a dude with scoring titles and no rings. How I said... Jordan with Collins is like D'Antoni with Harden. Just yeah. give them the ball, let them do what they do. Do what they do. Um, Chaka, what do you think about? Does would Michael Jordan win a title with Collins? 
Um, I definitely think it's a possibility that he could have won. Obviously, we will never know. And we look at what Phil Jackson was able to do with the triangle and that system and the players that they brought in. Um, Michael Jordan, like, time gets removed and we forget how great he was. Like, we, Michael Jordan willed some pretty bad Bulls teams into some pretty solid positions into the pl- in terms of the playoffs. And eventually he gets another Hall of Famer to play with. And the team then elevates to becoming a championship-level team. There's nothing to say that they still wouldn't have drafted a Scottie Pippen, and so he would have gotten his Hall of Fame running mate. Um, And Doug Collins could have used those two guys as the catalyst to potentially win championships. Uh, Jordan's greatness is that level of great. Like I, It's hard for me as a Knicks fan who watched him kill my teams in the 90s to say (laughs) that that dude ain't going to win. Um, in any situation you put him in. I think Jordan wins in any era you put him in. I think that he could have won without Phil, but obviously uh, Phil elevated the level of that team around him to a point where they could win 72 games, right? So I don't want to shortchange Phil Jackson either. Um, And Michael is that great. I think that he could have won with Doug Collins as the coach as well. Two three-peats, though? Maybe not. Maybe. I don't... Again, there's some teams that they played in there that were really, really, really solid. Um, and if the if the roster structure doesn't change, I mean, maybe, maybe there is two three peats. But that's those are the pieces that we just don't know. Like Doug Collins is not a bad coach, and yeah. even his philosophy was actually the right philosophy, especially early on. This I got a 24 year old bull. Like, give him – that's a metaphorical bowl, by the way. Give him the ball <laughs> and get out of his way because he won't let us lose. Um, and that's that really is the right strategy. Even Mike D'Antoni, like, D'Antoni gets crap for giving the ball to Harden. What do you guys want him to do? Give him the ball to Robert Covington? Of course you can give the ball to Harden. He's the best player, right? And so um, – So much shade. Well, I mean, it's, it's the truth with Harden. Harden gets a lot of stuff, and I'm not necessarily the guy who's, like, the big James Harden defender, but, I mean – as, a, as the guy who roots for the Knicks, I wish we had a Harden to give the ball to. Because <laughs> right yeah. now we have a Kevin Knox. That's what we got. So <laughs> here's, how I look at that. here's how I look at that argument of you give the best your best player the ball. Fine. But I just wrote, I just published a Jordan article that has this in it right before we started. Is that what I think Phil Jackson was able to convince Michael was that if Michael did 30% less, Four other guys on the floor only need to do seven and a half percent more to make up the difference. Right. And you got more than that seven and a half percent from from Rodman. You got more than that from Pippen. So right there, him giving up the ball that amount, it's not a ton that four other guys have to be better to make up that difference. And I feel like the same applies to Harden. Yeah, his his surrounding cast is not stellar. I get that. But. Are they so bad that they don't have another seven and a half percent? I don't know if I believe that. Um, I believe that, but I will go going back, <laughs> going back to your original point. I I do think that the idea of Jordan giving up the ball makes a ton of sense once Scottie Pippen is there. I think that Jordan wasn't going to be willing to do that unless he saw another guy who he could look at and say that dude could go because when when it was Charles Oakley. <laughs> He wasn't giving up the ball. You but know what I'm does saying? he find out that Pippen has that 
without Phil Jackson forcing the ball out of his hands because Pippen was already there. Yeah, maybe. I Pip again. Pippen is such a talent that it's hard to believe that he wouldn't rise to the top. Um, but it, like we said, he Phil Jackson was there, so like we have that context, right? So that's the context that we work off of. Everything yeah. else is just supposing. Okay. Um, so so I want to I want to talk about Phil for a second. Let's just break down with this guy because we're talking about with the new coaching. Getting Phil, a North Dakota guy who went to UND, University of North Dakota, then gets drafted to the Knicks and just starts, is like a dog, (laughs) becomes this, does acid, becomes this hippie who then also starts practicing Native American and Buddhist teachings and then coaches in Puerto Rico and that ends up back in the NBA. <laughs> they should make a movie or something just on that whole thing. Because that <laughs> square-shouldered, perfect-mustached man, <laughs> that is one hell of a story, right? Like, Jade, do you think if uh, Phil would have gone through all of that, do you think we would have ever seen Phil? No, I think that I think that his unique background is part of what made him the incredible coach that he was. And you're going to laugh at me because I'm going there and I drew parallels right away with Nick Nurse because he also has a fairly scattered background compared to most NBA coaches. He coached in Britain, he coached G League, he coached all over the place, but also Um, The way that Phil Jackson incorporated something he was passionate about into his coaching in that in the Native American stuff, Nick Nurse does that with music. Um, He plays music with the Arkells regularly on stage at their shows. He's he's huge into music and he's incorporated that into his coaching. And so I found it really interesting that they both have kind of a different approach to the game. They have a different approach to coaching that's fairly unique in terms of their peers. And I think those things do go into making them the coaches that they are. Like Phil Jackson is a genuine guy and you can tell that he, he had genuine relationships with his players. And without that, it's hard to get them to buy into a new system, like a triangle offense. If you don't have a personal relationship and you're just saying, well, I'm the coach, do what I say. That is yes. Um, so with the offense, with the, the triangle offense that Phil put in, uh, Chaka, is it personnel specific or can anyone hop can anyone in? Hop in? Uh, that uh, offense is not one that just anyone can do. Ha- having tr- We were on teams that tried to do it back in high school. We played against teams that tried to do it. There's, there's, first of all, your, your players got to be smart. And not everyone's a high IQ basketball player. Not everyone makes the right pass, right? Um, Part of the reason why the triangle also works so well in the era of Phil Jackson with the Bulls and also Phil Jackson with the Lakers is that zone defenses weren't as complex as they are now. Zone defenses can actually hop into some of those passing lanes and very much disrupt the triangle. And then the way that you actually beat that is with a big dude who could pass, which is why... When the zone did get implemented, Shaq could beat it. Um, 
it's also the reason why when Phil tried to get the Knicks to run it, we couldn't. The Knicks couldn't run it. We didn't have that level of passer on the interior. So personnel is incredibly important. Any offense you put Jordan in, he's going to be great. But Scottie Pippen and Ron Harper, um, and if you go back to the first iteration, B.J. Armstrong and Horace Grant make a ton of difference in that triangle working in that first three-peat. Um, and the same thing with Phil with the Lakers. When it's Shaq and Kobe, okay, but Robert Ory makes a difference and Rick Fox makes a difference. And then when you go to the second iteration, uh, Paul Gasol makes a difference. Derek Fisher makes a difference. You need high IQ basketball players for that stuff to work. Yeah, it was complex. I really appreciated the way they showed the graphic of the way that it moves. That but helped that, me out so much. Yeah, me too. But that that exactly illustrates what Shtok is talking about. It's not a simple, it's not a simple offense. The constant movement is key. Yeah. Which that is that's yeah that comes with the IQ of being like okay it may kind of look crazy but no there's a rhyme and reason to literally everything that they do. Yeah. Um, one thing that I do uh, want to give credit for for Phil is he's great at coaching an offense in the team, but he's even better at coaching individuals. Um, like Rodman, Rodman alone. Uh, Phil got him. Phil got him and just yeah. knew like there's some days that he had to just like the Las Vegas vacation, just like <laughs> you got to go. Okay. How, Chaka, how willing would some of these coaches be today to be doing what Phil Jackson was allowing Dennis Rodman to do? Um, how many coaches today let their players load manage? So I would say, I would, I think you'd actually be surprised at the number of coaches that could manage a personality type that is out there. I'm not going to say Rod, Rodman is so unique in how out there he was. And I do think that it matters that Phil Jackson, in my opinion, was a, a kindred spirit. Because if you look at the way that he played and the way that Robin played, it was very similar. They both kind of felt like outsiders in these team constructs because they just thought differently than most of their uh, teammates did. They were never also, at any point in their career, they were never the dude on the team, right? Because Robin goes to Detroit, and that's Isaiah's team. And he goes to San Antonio, and that's David Robinson's team. And on the Bulls, that's Jordan's team. And Phil Jackson was never the dude on the Knicks because they had – uh, Willis Reed and Walt Frazier. So, like, there's a lot of kindred spirit pieces that made a lot of sense for Phil. I actually think that um, there's a lot of dudes in the NBA now <laughs> who think differently, and they they still end up finding jobs. Um, Lance Stevenson was able to get employed forever. Ron Artest able to get employed forever. If you could ball, you could ball. You have to be able to bring something to the table. It's only when you're this quirky dude and it's like – but he can't play, that, that people are like, you know, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I'll deal with a lot if you can ball. Like, you get out here, you help us, then we can deal with a lot. Um, but uh, Rodman is even elevated as compared to some of those other guys that I mentioned. <laughs> okay. I have okay. to say, my favorite part of the whole Vegas trip was Carmen Electra saying she hid behind the couch when Michael Jordan showed up. I was, that was hilarious. I was actually going to mention that a little bit later on. But, yeah, that's what I was going to say. That when she was just like, I didn't want Michael Jordan to see me like that. I was just like, this is priceless. That's how high of a celebrity he was. But that also, people were like, I don't want him to look at my bedhead. Uh, like, oh, no. <laughs> no. 
The other thing was she's dating a basketball player and she had no idea he ducked out on his season. Like, I guess maybe just because I'm into basketball, it's weird to me that you would not be aware of that. I, f- I feel, I, well, that also then just goes on just how open their relationship was with communication. Just, yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> let's go to Vegas. Why? What about your season? Don't worry about it. But don't you play them out? Don't worry about it. Okay. But it I'm sounds like, it. okay. It sounds like it was even less communication than that because she's. It sounded to me like she had no idea. Like she thought th- this season was done. <laughs> or it was like school, and that was spring break. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, with Rodman being himself, uh, how do you think that? him was affecting not just Jordan, but the team around it? Like, how do you think he affected the rest of the team, Chaka? Um, I think that the teams that he was most successful on were veteran teams, so uh, it, it really... Robin couldn't do anything too crazy to impact the veteran chemistry, right? I, he was young when he was with the uh, Bad Boy Pistons, but that was still a veteran team. And when he's with the uh, Bulls for the three-peat, that's a veteran team, where he would negatively influence teams were his his run with San Antonio, where David Robinson at that time, that was like his maybe fifth or sixth or seventh year. Like, we got to go back and look. But that, that was a fairly young team. Um, and even with David Robinson, like, God bless David Robinson. He's a Hall of Famer. That dude doesn't win a championship until Tim Duncan comes in. And Tim Duncan, as a rookie, actually takes the team over. So that kind of tells you a little bit about Robinson's personality, which is such a surprise because he's like, he was a Navy guy. Like, you would figure that he yeah. would be able to Im- input. The Admiral. Like, yeah. Like, but um, that was a fairly young team. And then once he leaves the Bulls, he kind of hops around with like a Dallas team that's pretty young and a Lakers team that's not really veteran laden. So if you got a veteran team, I think that Rodman, like he's just he's just another quirky dude. It's it's um Manny Ramirez in baseball or Ricky Henderson in baseball. They used to always say that's just Manny being Manny, that's just Ricky being Ricky. Like that was the thing. They were just weird, and that's just them being them. And if you got a veteran team, it's fine. That's just Dennis being Dennis. And yep. when you got Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, it's like, okay, that's just Dennis being Dennis. As long as Dennis shows up in game six, we're gonna be fine, right? <laughs> and I think that was I think that was well illustrated in the interviews because one of the things that stood out to me that we've seen is Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, still clearly salty about some things that happened. But when it came to Dennis Rodman and they're watching the video, they're just laughing. So (laughs) it seems clear to me that there is not any negative. There wasn't any negative feelings because those guys both are still holding negative feelings from that time period about other things. So if there had been about Rodman, I think we would have seen it in the interviews. They don't yeah. even hold negative feelings toward Rodman being a bad boy piston. Like exactly. Rodman beat up uh, Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan as much as anyone else, and those dudes don't seem to harbor any ill will toward him. Well, it's because they're not Lambeer. I would love to see <laughs> Jerry Krause try to get Lambeer on that Bulls team. <laughs> that would be something special. That would have been so, fun. We got to talk about the walk-off. Me and Jay talked about the other night. I have so many thoughts. (laughs) Do you believe in Thomas when he said, oh, we meant nothing by it? 
So I, I, I was on a previous episode where you guys had this fight. So I'm curious. I, I want to see the fight again. And for those of you guys who are unaware, like we got cameras going too. So I can actually see the fight. It'll be awesome. <laughs> I forgot that Chaka was itching for more of this. And now we have, we have today. <laughs> so, yeah, I, we know. Okay. Jade, get your argument out already. That's okay. Cool. So, I have, I think, I'll, I'll try and keep Wrong! <laughs> I believe Isaiah Thomas, and this is this is why. I thought the footage of, of Larry Bird walking off during that game was pretty convincing. Um, and also, was it Kevin McHale who yes. did? But Isaiah Thomas had to chase him and get him to stop. He was walking away. And even when they did kind of smack hands, it was all the way at arm's length away. He, he was still moving away from him. But Isaiah Thomas is walking right in front of the Bulls bench. What's your point? Like, with... with that just has to do with the setup that you're still, Something's they had on the opposite side, so they were walking... No, the, for them to get to the locker room, they had to walk in front of the Bulls. Okay, so here's my question to you then. Are you... Feeling some kind of way about this because Michael Jordan felt some kind of way about it, and the Bulls did. Because here's what I will say: oh, I had this opinion way before the watching this doc. I always thought that is a bushly move. That is okay. Source for you're talking about a team called the Bad Boys. Why are yeah, we so surprised that they beat? So then, exactly, you're proving my point. Then they meant it to be mean because they're the bad boys. Okay, they're but why are we surprised? That's not them showing respect. Why did? Why would they show respect? Well, you were telling me. Okay, you. Okay, side if note for everyone. Uh, Jay was saying that the Jordan rules and everything was a respect thing, and now you're what? just saying why is there respect? You are going against yourself. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And I'll explain to you why. You're going to have to read my article later because I did a deep dive. But <laughs> here's why. It was absolutely there. There was some level of respect in it because the entire premise was they looked at the team and said, we have to stop him. We have to stop this. If we can stop this one guy, we're good. Tell me that that is not respect. Did the way but, they but did it. It's the way that they did it that people take exception to not the fact that they were able to it's identify unintentional respect that's not their original intention it doesn't it's matter it's war you don't you don't those guys were at war man you're so not then, how do you, then why do you believe in thomas meant nothing by it then if this because, is war then so here's why here's why you, oh my God, plot holes. It's like Swiss cheese with you. Swiss cheese. <laughs> you just are having a hard time keeping up. I'm a few steps ahead. Whatever. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll if, shut this up. I'll stop recording. You, I am in control here. If you believe, and I do, based on the footage, that that was the way. Here's the other reason I believe that Thomas's story about the Celtics is true. I'd never heard that that story before had you heard that story before about the walk-off like that what about the celtics walk-off yeah i've watched the bad boys documentary the 30 for 30 thing i've watched that thing i don't remember the celtics story being in that documentary but i haven't watched it in a long time but here's the thing if it was true if 
um, if Jordan is right and that's just not the way things were done, then that story about the Pistons and the Celtics would be common knowledge because the Pistons would have whined about it if it was this big deal and that the, 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 the bad boys had really seriously or the, the Celtics had really seriously gone against etiquette. Okay, so if that's the way the torch was passed to them from the Celtics, why wouldn't the Pistons be passing the torch the same way to the Bulls after they had been at war for all that time, after they had beaten them, and now they're the top dog and they get beat and they're supposed to hang around and be like, yeah, good game, guys. Like, no, they were the bad boys. I don't understand why it's such a surprise that they handled it the way that they did. Or why we expected them to be classy. Bad boys are not classy. Those things do not come in the same package. Trust me, I'm a single woman. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But my thing is, did that rivalry with the Celtics mean more than the rivalry with the Bulls? It depends on which team you ask. The team that won, it meant the most to the team that won the rivalry at the end. Yeah, I think if you ask the Celtics who was their rival from that era, they'll say the Lakers. Yeah. When you like, ask the Bulls who was their rival, it was the Pistons. They'll, they'll say the Pistons, right? But if you but, ask if you ask the Pistons, I wonder if the Pistons would just I think they might say the Celtics because that's who yeah, they had to overcome. That's who they had to beat. So that's so that's why I'm talking about that's why the the Bulls took it so much more of an offense because that was their biggest rival. But the Bulls were already the the Pistons were already that team. That's the part. And here's the here's another but thing they that I don't think wipe people think clean of. with it, and they just walk off like that. Yeah, like that trash talk in Game Four if must have think, been ridiculous. Epic. epic. I but wish the epic. NBA would have mic'd up then. I think about it in terms of like warrior culture. Like I'm watching Vikings right now, so I'm kind of in that mindset. Like. <laughs> When you beat the dude in charge, the dude in charge needs to leave, right? Otherwise, he's risking being killed if the person that beats him is kind enough to spare his life in the first place. (laughs) And I feel like that's the mentality that the Pistons had. And I'm going to even go so far to say as Jordan did what he had to do to beat the Pistons, but he didn't hate the Pistons because of the way they played. He hated them because they did it to him. And made him look bad. If Jordan had been drafted by the Pistons, he would have fit right in. He would have. I will give you that. He would have fit right in there. So he has this whole thing where people are like, oh, poor Michael Jordan. The bad boys were so mean. But Michael Jordan was mad that he wasn't the biggest bully. He was just mad that there was a bigger bully that could knock him down and did it multiple times. He even said it when he talked about bulking up. I want to be able to inflict as much pain as possible. He wasn't altruistic. He didn't think the game was so beautiful that it shouldn't be played that way. He was mad that somebody did it to him before he could do it to them. Another thing that I got to mention. They always said, those Pistons players, there's no such thing as the Jordan rules. There's no such thing as Jordan rules. And then the assistant coach goes on the documentary, breaking down, oh, yeah. Here's the Jordan rules that we well, had set it's up. It's been 20 years, like. <laughs> well, you watch you watch any, if you talk with Bill Lambeer today, he'll still say, Jordan rules? What are you talking about? 
Really? You got a line in with Bill Lambier? How can you yeah. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas does the same thing. I don't know what you're talking about. Jordan rules. One, make him go left when he's up top. Two, if he's on the post, trap him from the top. Three, if he's from the wing, push him back to the top. Baseline, knock his ass out. But you don't, like, do you still not see the compliment inherent in that? I'm not saying it's not a compliment, but they weren't meaning it as a compliment. But it doesn't make it seem like, oh, Jordan, this is what we have to do. This is our respect. No, they were just like, no, screw you. We're going to knock your ass out. It's not a respect thing. It's a, you are in our way. Get out of our way. I didn't say the premise was respect, but there's respect inherent in it. Unintentional respect. I'll give it that. Unintentional respect. And I don't think, I don't think they meant any, I don't think they meant it personally. The, the the personal part of it was if we can't stop this guy, we're going to lose. That's as personal as it was for the Pistons. Okay. Okay, Jade. Let me just say that, that as a coach, I 100% agree with that sentiment that Jade just expressed, which is it's all about trying to win. If we try to win, this is how we win. And so <laughs> Do you want to be on this show again? <laughs> well, the sentiment is the sentiment is a hundred percent correct. Any coach will tell you that. They'll tell you that it's about how do we win. Like I honestly don't think that um when Chuck Daly introduced it, he introduced it as the Jordan rules. I think he introduced it just as that assistant coach said, and then other people kind of ran with that idea of Jordan rules. Like I would I'd be willing to bet that if you sat in the uh the meeting room when they're watching video they don't even call them jordan because as a coach we don't call anybody by their name you're just a number hey if 23 goals baseline this is what we got to do if 23 gets the ball at the top of the key this is what we do like i'm just as a coach who coaches uh at a much lower level i'm just telling you i've never <laughs> called somebody by their name you're just a number <laughs> it's like who tends the queue because i coach football tends the queue so he's the quarterback so what do we got to do for 10 right 88 is the receiver. What do you got to do for 88? Like, that's that's it. So I, But I do, uh, like, it's all about winning. And the Pistons were about winning. And they were like, this is what we have to do to win. And when it stopped working and they lost, it was like, eh, I guess we lost. Now, I wish they would have shaken hands. Um, and I will say that one thing I definitely disagree with that Jade mentioned is that the fact that Isaiah Thomas went after Kevin McHale to go get his handshake tells you that there was something in the way that those teams competed that they were expecting some sort of handshake or congratulations at the end. There was some they were expecting that. Otherwise, why would Isaiah go after Kevin McHale to go get it? Right. So that's there is true, there's something that it still parallels the fact that the big dog got taken down and they weren't having it. Right. It was the lower team that had to go to get it from from the, the team that was on top that won. It was the same thing the times that the Bulls beat the Pistons and or, or the Pistons beat the Bulls and Jordan said, well, we always shook their hand. Well, yeah, damn straight you did. You are the junior. <laughs> yeah, you your little brother. You top dog. Yeah, you're going to shake hands. And one last point. I, I'm going to say this. Even though the Pistons lost to the Bulls, ultimately the Pistons won the psychological game. Because one of the things I think people don't lost. think about is that the physicality was in service of playing a mind game as much as it was about physically stopping the Bulls. And the Bulls knew that. They, they even talked about that in the episode where they said, once we got to the point where we didn't react, we knew we won. It was a mind game for the Pistons just as much as a physical game. But 
in not shaking hands, they denied Michael Jordan the thing he wanted, which was public acknowledgement from the Pistons of his superiority. And it still eats at him. So when it comes down to the mind game, the Pistons still won. Mind game thing, I'll give you that one. <laughs> I will give you that one. Well, something I've also really appreciated about the, the documentary so far is um, they've had some funny quotes and moments that they've got on camera. And so I'm just going to break down a couple of them that I've really appreciated so far. So first one was after they won the first title and you see Jerry Krause dancing on the plane. That little portly guy dancing. And then uh, when uh, Ron Harper was talking about when they were guarding, when uh, Elo was guarding uh, Jordan for the shot, and they were just like, Harper should do it. He's like, I'll do it. And they're like, no, Elo. And he just said, okay. Fuck this He's still stuff. mad about that, too. Yep. And then uh, the Rodman of saying, like, we want you on the team. I don't care. Whatever. What's up? <laughs> like, just like, yeah. Okay, cool. I guess if you want me, awesome. Um, then uh, my, one of my other favorite things was uh, seeing when it, they were talking about Phil Jackson saying that he had taken acid. And it has a picture of him like in some station wagon, his head out the window with this crazy <laughs> face. And we're like, oh, yeah, this is him. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and then the last one is it has to go with the Pistons. Is Horace Grant calling them straight up bitches? <laughs> that was my favorite one. That he was just like straight up bitches. Just Can shake I, his head. The, the most impressive thing about Horace Grant in that video is that he still looks like if you want to go, like he can go a little bit. Like not not a basketball game, yeah. by the way. He's he ain't gonna win the basketball game. He looks like yeah. he's probably three hundred pounds. But if you want to fight him, he oh, will yeah. rip your head off. He'll like, drop Horace me. Grant. Yo. <laughs> okay, so got that all. We got that discussing all set. Got the funny stuff I wanted to mention. So let's now move down to our fast break. So first question, Shaka: Better on-ball defender, Pippen or Rodman? Pippen. Pippen's a better on-ball defender. Pippen is. Jade, what about you? Yeah. Pippen, Pippen too. I just thought about this question because David Aldridge brought it up, saying he thought Rodman was the best on-ball defender he had ever seen. So they always talk about how Scotty is. And then when David Aldridge said Rodman, then I thought, well, I never usually go against David Aldridge. So Okay, so here's a question that we might be able to fill it out with then. Because Chaka talked earlier about how um, Rodman could go out and guard Shaq and guard Penny in the same game. Did could Pippen do that? No. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think... I, I, when I think all-ball defender, I think perimeter. But um, maybe what Aldridge is saying is that because Rodman could guard Shaq in the post one-on-one, maybe he's thinking about that. Like if Shaq faced up in the post, he could still... That's To me, Pippen was a... He was just a better athlete. So he goes out there on the perimeter and he and it was very difficult for anyone to do anything against him because he's six eight he's got stupid long arms he's just as fast as you are one of the things that robin could do when he guard those guys in the perimeter because you could hand check he was just physically strong so he hand checked the hell out of you and now you can't mm. go the way that you want to go now you can't hand check people so it's just a little different era so they'd have to figure some things out but um that would be the difference in my mind that that 
Dennis's strength allows him to go into the post. He could take on a big man, um, even if they're backing him down, or he could face you up in the post. Where um, I don't think you want, like, if Patrick Ewan got Pippen on his back, we'd be like two points. We Knicks would take that every day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, next question: um, Which team did Rodman look the weirdest in? The Spurs, the Lakers, or the Mavs, Jade? I don't know. I kind of feel like he got <laughs> to a point where it was just all weird. It looked uncomfortable seeing him in other jerseys besides a Pistons or a Bulls jersey. That's true. Um, I would have. I think the. I think for me, the Mavs, just because they're one of my favorite teams now, and I have a hard time picturing Rodman like the way the team that I'm most familiar, the Mavs team I'm most familiar with, is set up. It would just be really weird. Yeah. <laughs> Chaka, how about you? Weirdest team. Um, the, the Lakers, and it's it. Can I tell you? It's just the, it's the number. Like once he gets away from number ten, it all starts getting weird. So I think he was like seventy three with the Lakers or something yep. like that. It was just so. So that was weird to see a seventy three jersey for the L A Lakers and not like the L A Rams. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, just a little little fun fact that I figured out when I was looking up the jerseys for Rodman. Um, originally, he wanted number 69, um, but the NBA shot that one down, and he went to <laughs> 70. But supposedly, rumor has it, Mark Cuban has a handful of Dennis Rodman number 69 jerseys. <laughs> okay, so I thought that was a little bit funny with that. <laughs> but, okay. And third and final question for the fast break this week, Chaka. Who was the best team the Bulls played in the finals? So we got um, Trailblazers, you got Barkley and his uh, sons, and then you also have, you said, um, well, I think we already know your answer. That yeah, my answer is going to be the Utah Jazz, um, especially the Utah Jazz that 97-98 uh, season, which was the shot. That's the Byron Russell Jordan hits a shot over him. Like, I think that's the best team that he played. But he played against some solid teams. Um, I honestly thought that the Lakers, I was in the minority. When the Lakers played the Bulls in their first finals, I actually picked the Lakers to win. Um, I was, like, in the minority there. And then the, I think Lakers won the first game. And yep. I was like, see, I told you guys, it's Magic Johnson. Of course they're going to win. And then the Bulls ran through them the next four games in a row. And it was like, oh, yeah. God, Jordan's really good. The Seattle team that they play against as well, the first, um, the second three-peat when they win 72 games and they play Seattle, and I think that that Seattle team won like 65 games or something. Yep. That Seattle team was no joke. I mean, it had Gary Payton, it had Sean Kemp. I think that um, Sam Perkins was on that team Sam too. Sam Perkins was on outside. it, Nate McMillan. Yeah. Um, that was a very good team as well. But for me, it's Utah. The Utah Jazz specifically, Utah. the 97-98 version. All right. Jade, what about you? I have to go with Seattle. I have very distinct memories of that series. And it was, that series was crazy. Like, it was just such, it was such a battle. Um, and I think that for me is, is why I have to go. I, like that Utah team is one of my all-time favorite teams too, which I know much to your chagrin, Taylor. Stockton and Malone are, are one of my favorite duos ever to Jay, play. They rarely NBA. agree. Like this is just <laughs> rarely agree. But in terms of yeah, I, I that that that's how, that um Supersonics team was legit. 
Okay. Um, Actually, surprise fourth question. I just thought of it now. Which shot was better? Shot over Russell? Shot over Elo? Jade? Uh, Russell. Russell? Chaka, how about you? Russell or Elo? One of them wins the championship, and the other one gets you beat by the Pistons. So I'm going to take the one that won the championship, which is the one over Russell. (laughs) 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 Okay, so. I like that one. Okay, well, that was fun. Uh, Chaka, before we leave, you got anything you want to plug out? Um, yeah, I have uh, some stuff on Belly Up Sports. So I actually have an article about Isaiah Thomas needing to be on the Dream Team. So check out Belly Up Sports. Check out the NBA department. We're doing some cool stuff there. And then um, I have a podcast as well. The podcast is called F in Sports. Myself and Parker Ainsworth. We are two teachers who grade sports' biggest issues. Uh, so if you are interested, like, subscribe, share, check us out. Um, we'd love to have another subscriber. So, uh, yeah, those are a couple of things we got going on right now. Okay, perfect. Well, you heard them. List- you heard Chaka listeners. Do that stuff. Follow, support. I've listened to his podcast. I really enjoy it. It's great fun. So speaking of which, follow um, Belly Up and then follow us, um, us Hardcore Honeys, on Twitter, Twitter. Uh, I got the Instagram all set up. I just got to do some final touches, and then we'll be all set for that. So see you guys later next week. Jade, Chaka, it was great. Thank you, thank you.